Good morning. Today's announcements. The red rose on the altar is in honor of Don and Carol Height, who will celebrate 59 years of marriage on Wednesday. Happy anniversary. The blue jug will be out through Sunday the 15th. Donations assist the Salvation Army, who is already on the ground providing aid for the hurricane victims. The barrel for one warm coat drive is in the Heritage Room until this Friday for you to donate any clean or used coats. We will be receiving new members on Sunday, October 29th during the morning service. If you'd like to join the church or want more information, please contact Pastor Joel. At this time, I'd like to invite Pastor Joel and Tori to the front. As you'll note in your bulletins, today is Pastor Appreciation Day. And I think we're very fortunate to have two people on our staff that do a great job. And they're here for the good times and the bad times for everybody. So on behalf of the congregation, I'd like to say thank you. Good morning. Uh, This year for Trick or Treat, we are going to do a community event, I guess you could call it. Um, We're going to do Trunk or Treat here at the church. And really what that is, is just for families to come and stop by and for volunteers to pass out candy. Um, So we will have hot apple cider and cookies and candy to get your kids extra sugared up on Halloween or Trick or Treat. Um, but we need help. So if you are willing to help, it's really not that difficult. you got to show up with some candy. Um, if you want to, you can dress up um, as like a fun character or whatever. Um, and, or you can decorate your car. Students, if you want to come pass out candy as well, you're more than welcome. You don't even have to bring a car. You could bring a lawn chair, and that would be totally fine as well. Uh, but it will be on the night of Trick or Treat for New Knoxville, so October 26th, um, and it will go from 6 to 7.30. So if you are interested in helping with that um, or passing out candy, um, we really could use your help. Uh, so see me after the service, and we will get you plugged in for that. Thank you. Please stand for the preparation of worship. Today's preparation of worship is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as who called you, who is holy, so be holy to you, to all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy.
As the children come forward for children's chat, please take this time to greet your neighbor. How are you all? Good, good. I have some fun sugary sweets for you today. Who likes M&M's? Me. Me. I know. I do. Just about everybody. M&M's are so good. What are they filled with? Chocolate. Chocolate, huh? Oh. What are they filled with? Chocolate. What's on the outside of them? Peanuts. Well, there's some filled with peanuts. They're shell candy. They're hard candy. What's on the outside of them? I like Skittles, too. Yeah, they're Skittles, too. Well, Skittles are a different kind of candy because Skittles are filled with some gummy candy. So here's this. What is this marked with? What's on here? What is that, Jojo? An M. It's marked with an M. And are there M's on every single one of these, Leah? Yeah. Yeah? Well, last week you guys had talked about a covenant. And what a covenant is and what a covenant means. How did we talk about a covenant last week? Do you guys remember what comes in the sky after it rains? Rainbow. A rainbow. Okay, so there's rainbows in the sky, which is a sign that God will never flood the earth again. Well, these M&Ms are marked with an M. How are we marked that people know that we're Christians? With phones. With what? Well, there's bones inside of us, but how do people tell that we're Christians? Do you know? We go to church. Okay, so we go to church, and how else can somebody... Reagan, how does somebody tell that you're a Christian? What do we have inside of us that's beating? Our hearts. Our hearts. There's something that happens to us when we accept Christ into our hearts. And there's kind of like a change that happens to us. And that's one of the signs that people can know us that we're marked as a Christian. Just like how M&Ms are marked with an M. Now, these are just markings. But are there, is there one color? There's blue and green and orange. There's, like, lots of colors, okay? There's orange. But this marks that there's not one type of a Christian. There's multiple ways that somebody can be a Christian. It's not just, you know, by your skin tone or by what color of hair you have. It's not by where you live. It's, you know, there's so many different kinds of Christianity, But what's filled inside is chocolate. But what is filled so much inside of us that sometimes it just happens? It makes you smile. It makes you want to give somebody a hug. It's called joy. It's called love. Those are different things that fill us because Christ is in us. With Christ love. Yep, and God's with us too. So I have M&M's down there in that blue bowl for everybody that you guys can all have one package of M&M's after we pray. So you guys want to bow your heads with us and let's pray, okay? I see it. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these kids. We thank you that they're individually and uniquely marked with your love and your name, saying that they're children of God. Lord, we pray that you bless them. You bless each of their lives throughout their lives. Lord, when they're far away, draw near. Lord, show your love to them, through them, and show others. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
in the last week in Iraq killed was Adjutant Chief Stefani Grenier from France, Specialist Alexander W. Misseldine, 20, from Tyler, Texas, killed in a T-45C plane crash from NAS Meridian, Mississippi, Lieutenant Patrick L. Ruth, 31, from Matari, Louisiana, and Lieutenant Junior Grade Wallace E. Birch, 25, from Horn Lake, Mississippi, killed in a California accident, Commander Seth A. Stone, 41, from Houston, Texas, killed in Las Vegas, Sergeant First Class Charleston Hartfield, 34, from Las Vegas, Nevada, and Navy Combat Veteran Christopher Royball, 28, from Corona, California. Killed also in the West African Republic of Niger, southwest of the capital, Nami, near the country, Mali. Staff Sergeant Brian Buck, 35, from Pollyup, Washington. Staff Sergeant Jeremiah Johnson, 39, from Springboro, Ohio. Staff Sergeant Justin Wright, 29, from Lyons, Georgia. Several others whose name I do not yet have. In just a moment, I'm going to invite Mr. Ron Young forward with the Gideons. He's going to share a little bit about their ministry and, and how we can support them. Uh, but I just want to take a moment and, uh, and let's pray. Um, being on the radio, I obviously don't want to, to name any names, but you all know uh, our friend over there. He is conscious and he is awake, but they are going to take him in just to make sure he gets checked out. So I just want to assure you all of that. But let's lift him up to the Lord. Father, I pray uh, right now that you would be with him. Be with our brother in Christ, uh, Lord, as, as he is um, not feeling well. Um, but I thank you, Lord, that he is conscious, and I pray that you would strengthen his heart and his mind. And uh, I pray that he, as he gets the attention he needs, Lord, that you would um, heal him, Lord, and, and strengthen his body in whatever, Lord, way is needed. Um, you know exactly what's going on and exactly what is needed. And so we thank you that you are a God who cares and is able to meet our needs through Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Invite Ron Young forward. Um, as I mentioned, he's a member of the Gideons of Auglaize County, and he's going to take a few moments and share about, about that ministry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Those are some of the comments that we received at a recent Bible distribution on the Miami campus here in Ohio. Giddings distribute testaments all over the United States and the world. And as we do this, we get many different sayings back to us. And we have a lot of appreciation from people that have never had a testament. How many of you remember receiving one, maybe in the fifth grade, uh, at your school here in the county? Raise your hand or have one. Now, how many can't remember? Those are the ones that are probably being honest anyway. Gideons also distribute full Bibles in what we call the traffic lanes of life. Hotels, motels, hospitals, and professional offices. And we also distribute and give in counties, in jails, and prisons, what we call lightly used Bibles that come from those locations. It's becoming more and more apparent in all the counties that we need to minister to all those people. They need it maybe more than what we have 
in the church today. Also, I want to, uh, for those of you, I'm not sure, I never know for sure exactly how well people understand the Gideon program and, and even the, the testaments we pass out. In the front of these testaments are what we call help in time of need. Many people, uh, we all at some time and point, maybe every day, we have our highs and lows. And sometimes we need something more than just our spouse telling us it's okay. Sometimes we need God to tell us it's okay. So there are things in here all over stress, sorrow, etc. And what pages to, to uh, get help in, in this testament. As we pass out these testaments, especially in foreign countries, people there really relish the fact that they have something in their hands from God. And in the back of these testaments is their what we call the personal salvation. And I'll read that. My decision to receive Christ as my Savior. Confessing to God that I am a sinner and believing that the Lord Jesus Christ died for my sins on the cross and was raised for my justification, I do now receive and confess Him as my personal Savior. And there is a line here for name and uh, the date. In a lot of places where there's only one testament and they need to share, there's a number of Names are written all over these pages because they have to share this. The Gideon program is an extension of the local churches because Gideons come from the local churches. The success of the Gideon program would be in jeopardy without the prayerful and financial support of the local churches. I'll be a little bit like a CEO today. Uh, you know, when a CEO gets up front, they always, they always want to present a, a positive attitude and also tell about their success stories. And just to give you a little bit of idea of what happens when these are passed out and when the full Bibles are placed in these different locations, here are some of the stories that have come back to Gideon's from these people. The first one I'll relate to is Leah Bartholomew. She's from Brazelton, Georgia. Leah, as most of us would say, she had it all. She had the nice, nice clothes. She had a nice car. Really nice house. She had two sons that were both athletically and academically superior in her class. But as the oldest son went off to college, he fell into a poor group that got him started due to alcohol and drugs, and he went down a twisted spiral and they needed to put him in, in rehab. Well, they needed to put him in rehab several times because he failed and fell backwards every time. Leah became extremely depressed and despondent. She worked in a hotel gift shop and had an office to the side. Leah had decided that life just wasn't worth living she was going to come home that next night. She was going to drive her car in the garage, shut the door, and leave the engine running and roll her window down. Yes, Leah was going to commit suicide. But God had a different answer for that next day, as when she got to work on her desk on the corner was a full Gideon Bible left there by someone. And Leah really wasn't a churchgoer. She didn't really know a lot about God, but she picked up that Bible and she opened it up to John, the book of John. And most of you remember on John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, that resonated with her that day. And so she started leaping through the rest of the the Bible, as she wasn't really that busy that day. And before the day's end, Leah had sparks of hope back in her heart. She went home that night. She cooked her family a big meal, hugged her family, 
And that next Sunday, they found a church to go to and changed their entire life. Leah writes, Gettings International, do not ever, ever quit placing Bibles in hotels and motels. It changed my family's life and mine. The next one is uh, involves James Jewell for Hammersville, Ohio. Now, James was an 81-year-old World War II veteran. And one day, he was, he was still pretty athletically uh, inclined, walked out and looked up on the top of his garage roof, and there was something orange up there. Well, he goes to his garage, and he gets a ladder, and, and he goes out, and he climbs up this ladder and, and uh, grabs a hold of it. And it was orange, but just like this book. So he grabs it, he brings it down from that ladder, and he puts his ladder away, goes to the house, gets out his spectacles like I have, these senior citizen glasses, and starts reading. And it was a miracle that he had found that Bible that had been presented to probably a student that week, and they had just pitched it on their way home, deciding they didn't need it. But James went on to say that that Bible wasn't thrown away. As most people would say, he says God placed that there so he would find it. Because James found that next week some news that his life was going to take a a big turn because he had developed terminal illness. And he became close to God from that testament. Now my last is which I went to a church and and it was did a report like this I did in Paulding County, Ohio. Now, it wasn't a, a church of this size. There were 13 people there that day, including myself, the pastor's wife, and their two children. But after we, re, we were done, I was done reporting, and the pastor had given his message, the uh, pastor asked for uh, comments and concerns, and uh, this gentleman raised his hand, and the pastor called on him and, and, and recognized him as Jeff. And Jeff says, I think all of you knew that I grew up in Paulding County and that my, my family had a small business when I was young. Um, but he says the problem was, as time went on, that business failed, began failing. He said, my father, depressed, began drinking, drinking very heavily. And at a point my father and mother agree that they need to be divorced. So my father puts all his possessions in this car, and he takes off. He said it had been years and years and years and years since I had heard from him. He said about a year and a half ago, I got a phone call from someone in Charlotte, North Carolina, that said my father had a massive heart attack, and he was calling for me. So I jumped on the first plane that I could find. I flew down there. But unfortunately, my father already passed away. My father still had a car filled with all his stuff. So after I made all the arrangements, I started driving that car back to Paulding County. He says, I stopped off as I got tired in this rest area and decided to take a nap. And once I woke up, I says, I opened up the console. And inside that console was a fairly good-sized some of cash, and also a Gideon Testament. He says, as I opened this up and I leafed through here, there were numerous passages highlighted in yellow. And as I got to the back of the prayer of salvation, my father had signed and dated that. He said, tears began running down my cheeks. I was so happy that my father had found Jesus Christ and was a Christian before he died. He said, I've, I've been carrying around that money in my wallet for a year and a half. He said, after, after this morning I decided, you know, the Giddings placed that Bible so my father could get that Bible and have salvation. I'm going to give that money to the Giddings so the other people's family members can have that opportunity as well. We had uh, our local camp uh, getting banquet in 2015, in which we had the state presidents there. And he says, 
most people think that Gideons uh, are, are associated with distributing Bibles. But he says also, we are responsible for being, bringing people of all ages to know Jesus Christ. And as we view the world today, I don't know about you, but when I look on my TV, sometimes I don't watch it very long. We have a real need in this world today for people to know Jesus Christ. The Getting Card program, uh, they, uh, I checked this and then asked the pastor and uh, the secretary. And, uh, we also have what they call a Getting Card program. And these cards, uh, we have the traditional in memory, thank you, you and, and recogni- in recognition cards. And what you can give them or send them to someone. And as you do that, there's a line there that says, I give so many Bibles. And then you can uh, send a check to Gideon's in memory or in recognition of that person. And these, uh, we call them Gideon cards, are at, at the exits. So uh, if you haven't looked uh, before, take a look today on your way out and see if you see one of these. Uh, this is a great way. Also, to tell people you care, uh, also to give a little Christian message, and also to give a little bit of money uh, to get in so they can purchase Bibles. We also have a new program, and it's called Friends of the Gideons. Uh, not everybody uh, that we meet either uh, wants to or has time or whatever to be a Gideon. And so we have what we call the Friends of Gideon. And in this program, uh, there are different levels, but you can pray for, and you also could help support the Gideons financially. Now, of course, I'm sure as I look around the room here, there are a number of people in here that I'm sure that have the heart, soul, and spirit to be a good Gideon. If that is your desire, I would say contact Pastor Joel, and he can get in and can contact with the local Gideons, and they can get you on your way to that, too. As I said in the beginning, without the prayerful and financial support of local churches, the Gideons could not perform and do what they need to do. Testaments cost $1.40 to print, and the full Bibles cost $5. Now, I'd like to always emphasize this. 100% of every dollar that is given is used for the, the purchase or printing of these testaments and shipment. Gideons receive nothing as, as uh, they go out and expenses for anything they do, whether they go, they go uh, in a distribution here in the United States or anywhere else. We all donate our time. But like I said, 100% of every dollar given is used to for the purchase and shipment of these testaments. I'd like to thank everyone here today for the opportunity uh, to come and report to you. Uh, thank you to uh, Pastor Joel Buckland and the First Church of New Knoxville for the opportunity to do so. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. And, and as I mentioned before, I'd love to, to pray for you and your ministry as well as the Gideons overall okay. and uh, as well as, as our other needs and concerns. So be right if I, if I pray for you sure, this morning. Sure. Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear from Ron and to hear, uh, Lord, the important ministry that the Gideons are doing. I thank you for his and others' faithfulness, Lord, to you and obedience to you and the call that you've placed on their lives. And I pray that you would equip and provide for them, Lord, um, so that as they go out and as they share God's word uh, in a very, very literal way, Lord, by providing Bibles, um, that you would bless their ministry and bring much fruit to it, Lord. Um, and I also uh, pray that, that as we as a church would continue to, to support, Lord, um, with the offering this morning, I pray that that offering would bless and, and, um, and help, Lord, uh, them continue that ministry that you've called them to do. Uh, Lord, we lift up other concerns as well. Lord, you know what's on our hearts and our minds. You obviously know of, of the immediate need that we have before us today. And I pray that you would work in each of those situations, that your, 
your grace, your love, your healing power, Lord, would be made known. And that um, through all things, Lord, we would trust that your will is what's best for us. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, He's finding a seat again. I invite the ushers to come forward and and help with this uh, offering this morning. As I mentioned, uh, we're gonna the money that we collect today will go in support of the Gideons International and the the Auglaes County chapter of that. throw a little curveball at you this morning. Um, I'm going to go right into number 262, Holy, Holy, Holy. We'll sing just the first verse in preparation of our message this morning.
be seated. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to worship you through music, through prayer, and through your word. Uh, and I pray that as, as we study it this morning, that, that you'd open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us, and that you'd give me the words to speak. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue on and, and continue studying the life of Abraham and some major events that, that have unfolded in his life. And, and before we jump right into the text from Genesis chapter 17, which is printed for you in your bulletin, or if you have your own Bible or a pew Bible, I encourage you to follow along there. Um, last week we spoke about Genesis 15, which was uh, God renewing his covenant with Abraham and renewing the promise that he had made to him to, to provide children to, to be the vehicle for the blessing that God had uh, given Abraham in Genesis 12 and the, pro, the promise to, to give him the land that was promised. And so uh, Genesis 17 is, is really a continuation. This promise has been kind of unfolded for us over the course of three chapters and in some 23 or so years, 24 years in Abraham's life. Um, so, so this is this has been a long process for him. Um, but for us, as we've been looking at it piece by piece, it's 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 all seems to be kind of smushed together, right? It seems like it's happening one after the other. But this has been a long process in Abraham's life and a long road for him to follow to get to this point. And so, since in chapter 16, the passage that we're skipping over, um, it's the story of Abram, Sarai, and and their servant Hagar and the child Ishmael that was born to them. You see, Abraham had been given this promise that he would have his own son, that that his estate and the blessing would be passed on through a biological heir of his own. Right? That was the issue in Genesis 15. The concern was was that he didn't have a child or didn't have a son to call his own. And so, in Genesis 16, Abram and and Sarai uh, take matters into their own hands. Right? The promise was that that. Abram would have a, a son of his own, but Sarai was not mentioned in that part of the equation. And so, uh, as was um, the custom at that time, um, uh, Sarai's servant Hagar was given to Abram, and through Hagar, they had a child, and his name was Ishmael. And so that's, that's the story that takes place in, in Genesis 16, and, and almost immediately there's this relational tension and awkwardness and struggle that takes place, as you can imagine, as the, of the result of that sort of relationship. And so in Genesis 17, this is some years later, uh, it says that Abram was 99 years old, which would have made Ishmael about 13. So this is some years after the fact, and, and still no other children had been born to Abram and Sarai. So God once again comes to Abram and continues to reinforce and, and, and um, go deeper into this promise that he has made him, dating back all the way to when Abram was 75 years old. And this promise we'll see um, at the end of chapter 16, there's kind of this question, right, Ishmael is born, but is he the child of promise? Is he the one through whom God will, will continue to bless and continue to work out this salvation history? And in Genesis 17, we, we see the answer that God has another son in store, a son not just of Abram's, but of Abram's and Sarai's together. And that's the, the reaffirmation that Abram gets here in this encounter with the Lord. There's a few things I want to point out and for us to notice before we, before we um, dig into the application for our own lives. And that is a, a, how God interacts with Abram and how he continues to, to personalize and reinforce this promise that he had made to him. One of the first things he does, right, he calls Abram and reminds him, and he calls him and says, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And so once again, God is, is reinforcing and reminding Abram of that covenant and calling him deeper into that sort of relationship. And God promises that, and it goes right into this, this section where, where God changes Abram's name. And he also changes Sarai's name. It says that many kings and nations will, will come from her. And so God gives them new names. And, and it's such an interesting thing for God to do as part of this promise. Uh, most of the time when we think of names today, as we pick names for our children, we don't really consider a whole lot what those names mean. 
I know, remember when, when Josephine, before Josephine was born, um, we were trying to figure out what to name her, and, and Josephine was, was right from the get-go the name we chose. And, and honestly, it's because we just liked the sound of the name, right? Like, there wasn't, it wasn't a family connection. It wasn't like this great meaning to the name. It was like, oh, well, well we just like the name Josephine, and we can go with that. Um, if you ask Josephine right now, baby brother is going to be called Bubba, but I don't think we're going to go with that one. <laughs> Um, again, it just sounds good to her. <laughs> We're still working on that name, though. But, but names today don't have the meaning and significance that names back then do. Some do. You know, some family names or some traditions like have a lot, or some names have a lot of tradition to them and some meaning there. But, but for the most part, people don't consider what a name means before they name their child. A lot of times it's just what sounds good. But names, as we see from, from Scripture and from that culture, had a lot of significance. God is called by many names throughout Scripture. And their names point to His character and what He's like. And so in this passage, we see, depending on your translation, it says something like God Almighty. Um, there's there's uh, one of the obviously most common names for God is, is the Lord. All capital letters in your Old Testament, which is a reference to the name that he gave Moses in Exodus 3, I am who I am. Right? And so, so God is known by many names in the Old Testament um, in order for us to get a glimpse and understand his character a little better. But God also does the same things for, for people um, in, whom's li- in, in the lives of, of people that he is. He's closely working with and closely um, calling in, in, in their own lives. Uh, for example, Jacob is renamed Israel. Jacob is Abraham's grandson, and he's renamed Israel, which means wrestles with God. Simon, one of Jesus' disciples, is renamed Peter, which means rock. Right? He's, that would be a good nickname, right, to have, right? Jesus giving you the nickname rock. It's this sign of his, his steadiness and, and, and uh, fortitude. And then we see, as I mentioned, Abram is renamed Abraham and Sarai is renamed Sarah. These are all names that reflect God acting and moving in their lives. And so as we come to know Christ, as we put our hope in Him and put our faith and our trust in Him, He doesn't necessarily give us new names. right? We're not going to just suddenly change our name, go down to the Social Security office and make that sort of change. But He does give us a new identity. He gives us hope and gives us new purpose. And that identity is, is found in Christ and not anything else in the world that we often try to put our identity in, right? We define ourselves by so many things, whether it's money, whether it's our job, even our family status, right? I'm a father and a husband. But even those things can be temporary, unfortunately. Those things won't last forever. The only thing that that will last forever, the only thing that can never be taken away from us is our identity in Christ. And that's what He gives us as we put our trust in Him, is that, that hope of a future, that hope of, of being accepted into God's family. And so in a sense, He does give us a new name. It's, it's the family name Christian, right? That, that mark of being His and being a part of His, his kingdom and His family. Galatians 2, chapter, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's what it means to have a a new identity in Christ. It's to find ourselves in Him and no longer defining ourselves by all the other things the world says we should define ourselves by. So God gives Abram and Sarai new names and He gives us new identities. We see here in this, this third uh, reinforcement of the covenant promise that God makes Abram, we see a shift in how God relates to His people. Before, God was this almighty, all-powerful God who spoke to Abram and Abram obeyed. And there was this sort of disconnect between, between Abram and the Lord, right? God was transcendent and up here, and Abram was down here. But notice the shift that takes place in this chapter. God promises Abram that he will be, it's in verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. Here it is. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. In verse 8, he goes on to say, and I will be their God. See, there's a change there. It's no longer this transcendent God who's up there in the clouds somewhere that's kind of speaking down to Abram. But with this promise, God says, I will be your God 
and I'll be the God of your descendants after you. There's this personal connection, personal relationship that God is initiating with Abram. And, and through Abram, all of his, his descendants and, and today his spiritual descendants through Christ. God has, has made this promise in order to restore that broken relationship that was lost in the garden. Genesis 2 describes an intimate relationship that Adam and Eve had before sin entered the world. And later on, in Exodus chapter 33, after Moses receives the law and almost immediately the people rebel and worship a golden calf, God wants to, God says, alright Moses, I'll just start over again with you. These people are rebellious, they're idolatrous, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just leave them be and I'm gonna start over with you. But Moses makes this plea. He says, you've been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Remember calling back to that promise that God is making Abram in Genesis 17. The Lord replied, my presence will go on with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples of the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this very thing you've asked me because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. See, Moses recognized that, that all the laws, the circumcision, the laws, all of that stuff that kind of separated God's people from the rest of the world, all of that stuff was good, and it, but it pointed to something greater. The point wasn't the law itself. The point wasn't circumcision itself. The point was what it represented. And that was God's presence with His people. And if that was not there, if God was no longer going to be abiding with His people and make His home with His people, then, then what was the point of going on, Moses said? There's this connection that God initiates with His people. And it's that personal relationship. God says, I will be your people. Or excuse me, I will be your God. And we see that again reiterated all the way at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, in the new heaven and the new earth, when God once again dwells with His people. And He said, I will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things is gone. And He says, I will be with them, and they will be My people, and I will be their God. That's the distinguishing mark. That's the distinguishing characteristic of a Christian. It's not, not anything external. It's not, not um, some sort of external code or external um, sign or symbol that you, you put on yourself in order to like mark yourself as separate from everybody else, right? Those things are good, but they're only signs pointing to something greater. And that greater thing is that relationship with Christ. His, God's presence with His people. And so God in this, in, in Genesis chapter 17 gives Abram this sign of the covenant. And it's what sets God's people apart from the rest of society. It's that distinguishing characteristics that marks them as special. As I mentioned, it's a sign, it's something that points beyond itself. The goal in it, of itself was not circumcision. Amen? Right? That was not the end all, but it was meant to point to something greater. It was, it was a sign, it was a symbol of something that was um, physical that pointed to a spiritual reality. In the same way, when we share communion together, when we take the bread and the cup, the point isn't the bread and the cup, right? The point isn't having a, a small chunk of bread and some juice or wine, depending on what church you're at. The point is what it means, what it symbolizes, what it represents. And that is the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Again, it's, it is significant. It does have meaning. It is powerful. But it's in what the, the physical represents. And that is the spiritual reality of Christ dying on the cross for us and being raised again. His body broken. His blood shed for us. And so the sign of the covenant, circumcision, was meant to point to something greater. And, um, and that something greater is that internal reality, that internal faithful obedience and response of, to God's promises. Think of a marriage ceremony. I know there's a couple people here that probably have that on their mind a lot right now. Um, but think of the ring, right? The goal of getting married is not to add a piece of jewelry to your collection, 
right? The ring is meant to be a sign. It's a symbol of that commitment that two people make to each other, that a man and a wife make to each other. The ring is special, right? But it's not special in and of itself. What's special is that covenant commitment that is being made between those two people. 1 Samuel 15.22 God speaking through Samuel to, to King Saul says, that, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. See, we get this command for circumcision, this external act that was a symbol for something greater. But even as early as Deuteronomy and on through the prophets and the New Testament, we're reminded that that symbol was just that, a symbol. What God really desired, what God really cared about was what Moses called circumcision of the heart. I'm going to skip over that one because it was a longer passage. Deuteronomy chapter 10, I encourage you to, to take a look at that, verses 12 through 22. But I want to read Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 26 to you instead. Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the wilderness of distant places. For all these nations are really uncircumcised, and even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. See, the point isn't some external conformity. The point isn't whether you've been circumcised or not, right? The point is what is the state of your heart? Is, do you have a soft heart or do you have a hard heart? Are you open and willing to obey God in response to the love that He's shown us? Or are you so closed off that you have no, no room for God in your life or no room for Him in your heart? See, you can go through all the motions. You can go through all the steps, but your heart can be closed off and not open and, and willing to, to, to accept what God has done in your life. So you can come to church every Sunday. You can do all of the right things. You can have this exterior that just looks great and happy, and, and, and it looks like you're this perfect person. But on the inside, if your heart isn't soft, if your heart isn't open to the Lord, if your heart hasn't been circumcised, then you're missing the point. In Romans chapter 2, Paul says that, that Jews are Jews not who have been, in other words, God's people are not those who have been circumcised only in the flesh, but those who have been circumcised in the heart. That's what God really cares about. That's what God is really after. And so as, as we see here in Genesis chapter 17, as, as God is reiterating this promise, and this promise that, that God will provide a son through Abraham and Sarah, who is to be born, God reminds us and reminds Abraham that there's something special about God's people. Something special in the sense that we have been set apart in order to know the Lord and to be the light of the world so that others may know Him as well. We should have certain distinguishing characteristics that help us or help people to see Christ through us, if that makes sense. Um, as I mentioned, we need to be circumcised in the heart and not in the flesh. We need a transformed Heart. Think of the parable of the soils in Matthew chapter 13. There's the hard ground, the rocky soil, and the weeds. And God's Word is not able to take root in any of those soils. But it's only the good soil that, that really becomes fruitful. So you need to ask yourself, is your heart hard? Are you willing, are you unwilling to listen to the Lord and how He wants to work in your life? Just real quickly, the other Two distinguishing characteristics, I believe, that, that are uh, the sign of the covenant God has made with those people. So the first is having a soft, transformed heart that is willing and open to the Lord. The second is God's presence, and I've already touched on this. God's presence is what, what sets God's people apart, right? And, and ultimately we see that fulfilled through the Holy Spirit living and acting in our lives. In Joel chapter 2, God promises that one day He will pour out a Spirit on all people. And we see that come to fulfillment in Acts chapter 2. And throughout the book of Acts, what sets God's people apart from everyone else is God's Spirit present in their lives. That's the sign of that new covenant, is God's Spirit active in their lives. 
And that is all then lived out through love for God and people. In other words, faithful obedience in response to what God has done for us. There's a few passages here that I want to share with you, but I'll, I'll close with this one. John 13, verse 34 through 35. Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, that's the distinguishing mark. Jesus says it doesn't, it's not what you look like, it's not how you dress, it's not the kind of clothes you wear, it's not the kind of job you have, it's not where you live. It's if you love one another. Jesus defined all of God's law by loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what we should be known for as Christ followers. God's presence in our lives, a soft, transformed heart that's open and willing to allow God to work in our lives. And by faithfully obeying Him in response to the love He's shown us through loving God and loving others. Let's be known for those things. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for all that You've done for us and continue to do um, through Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You, Lord, that You do. You have set us apart. Um, you have made us holy through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, in response to what You've done for us, You ask that we have a, a soft heart, that we, we have Your Spirit in us given through You. And that we live in faithful obedience in response to what You've done for us. I pray that You'd help us to be known for those things in this world today. In Christ we pray. Amen. In closing, let's sing just the first verse of Take My Life, number 379. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.